get back to work. And work is one of the ways that we contribute to this country, that we grow our GDP, we grow our tax base, we contribute to each other effectively, we help finance our national security, our homeland security, our, you know, our infrastructure. I had key employees that really wanted to be leaders in the company, but they didn't want to have any ownership and responsibility that way. So yep. I just had to start researching out and, and figuring out, well, how do I market my company? Go to your local school board one, for one hour twice this year. And if you can have even just 10 or 15 employers show up and do that at the same school board, every single month there's two contractors filling out a little card to, to, to give your 30 seconds at the podium that says, I need your help and we have great jobs. Eventually they will hear you. But if everyone just did two hours a year, that's how we change this. Stacy, how you doing this morning? I'm doing great. She loves it. I ask the question every time. She's like, I'm fine, dude. Just uh, <laughs> a little much. And I say to that owner, I said, I said, so you're not willing to invest in yourself. You're not going to invest in yourself. You're going to invest in companies you have no control over. Whereas your company you control and you don't have the confidence to pour the money into that. When things are busy and they're looking for their GC friends to sit down and negotiate a project when GC and the fee and they're more excited about building the project. And then all of a sudden the model, the market swings. And now the developer market is wanting to go out and they're gonna hard bid the same project to two or three different GCs. And that's where, that's where it starts going down. Morning huddle time. Good morning, Chad Frinky here with Stacy Holzinger and good Nancy morning. Novak, our guest today. Good morning, good morning. How are you, Stacy and Nancy? Good morning. Doing great. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, long Memorial Day weekend. Hopefully, everybody got a chance to uh, to enjoy. Best thing that happened uh, for you this weekend, Stacy? What was it? I got done so much yard work that has been. Ugh, it just looks incredible, and thank. Thankfully to uh, my uh, sister-in-laws, so that's awesome. So you had like a crew. Say that again. So you had like a crew to to come up. And yes, help? they all helped during Memorial Day weekend. It was amazing. So that's feel awesome. good. What yeah. about you, Nancy? Oh, I got lots of sun. We uh, I got to see my eight-year-old dive off the diving board at the club, and then we got to take the boat out, which is always fun in Virginia since it's so seasonal. So. You know, I like the water, so it was it, great. It is. Yeah. It kind of it marks this milestone uh, for boat owners. I know where they're like, I got the boat out. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, and it's a. Uh, I got what my uh, John Livingston, who works with me, uh, he he uh, sent me a message. I was like, hey, take a look at this. Uh, you know, over the next few weeks, and it was really funny. He was like, look, man, it's boat weather, so I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no promises. <laughs> I get it. Uh, so, well, cool. I uh, I got out on uh, Friday night. I did some fly fishing uh, unexpectedly, right? Because it was really bad weather on Friday, but wow. the stream held up perfectly. And I had one of my best evenings fly fishing uh, in quite yeah. a so, wow. Yeah, it was lovely. So uh, anyway, so so let's, let's, uh, let's get in a little bit to, you know, who's Nancy? Uh, what are we here to talk about today? Uh, you know, that, that type of stuff. So, um, you know, Nancy Novak is with us. Uh, she has an immense, um, you know, amount of experience and really cool story that I'm going to let her kind of expand on. But uh, today working for Compass Data Centers, is that right, Compass? Yes. And, um, you know, is doing some really interesting and exciting things 
uh, utilizing modern methods in construction, modular construction being at the center of that. And so today we're just going to have a, a, a conversation, a dialogue about modern methods in construction, what is leading the way, why some organizations or some parts of the market are lagging, and what, what are some of the you know, common sense things that we can be methods thinking about, about to make that happen. So, um, so with all that said, uh, Nancy, give us a little bit more on, on your sort of story. Uh, what brought you to where you are at Compass Data Centers? Um, it's, it's, it's a little serendipitous. I, um, I, I've been in the built environment for over 30 years. My dad was a general superintendent. He worked uh, globally for the largest firm in the world at the time. So I spent a lot of summers on job sites and, um, you know, working, earning extra money, which is good, really good money when you're that young, you know. Um, fell in love with the industry and um, and just started out in the in the big GC world. So I worked for 20 years with a company called Pencil Phelps and got to build some of the coolest, sexiest things on in the in the nation. Right? I mean, I did everything from you know spectacular museums with Smithsonian to like, hospitals, airports, and the launch facility for Lockheed, which was you know really got me um, interested in space. So I. I loved it because it's like a continuous learning environment. Every time you build for someone, you learn about those, you know, those businesses that you build for. So it was just fascinating. Moved a lot, coast to coast, you know, back and forth. And um, and then when I uh, became the executive with Hensel Phelps, I spent the next seven years kind of, you know, running in a division. And I um, I was able to retire quite young, uh, which I was super happy about because I kind of I had all these passions that I wanted to explore and you know, when you're running work, it takes um, everything, it takes everything from you. So I love the company and I love the business, but I really wanted to see what else was out there. So I spent a few years traveling and um, focusing on things like diversity and inclusion and, you know, supporting other, you know, women in STEM organizations around the world. Um, and while I was retired, Hensel Phelps had me come back in to help with some of their major procurements. And then uh, I met some other firms that we joint ventured with on a couple of very large multi-billion dollar procurements. And, um, and then uh, literally like a year or so into, uh, or before I finished my retirement, I ran into the chief of enterprise for Balfour Beatty Skiing and Steamboat. And he asked me to come in and help them become one national firm because they had acquired and a lot of uh, mergers and acquisitions. And it just so happens that Chris Crosby was one of our national accounts. And I met Chris doing that, at, you know, working for Balfour. So after being there for about four years, I, um, I retired again and Chris called me to <laughs> And he said, would you please come help us build our company? So, so here I am at Compass, um, and it's, it's been an interesting trip because I never, ever expected to be working for a developer and especially building data centers. But what a fascinating environment, and I'm so grateful that, that it went that way. Wow. That's such a cool story. I, and and, and um, if this were, if this episode had a different theme or this show had a different theme, I think we could just have a discussion about how to retire young. All right, let's scrap everything else. Tell, give us the game plan. How do you retire? <laughs> um, but uh, but no, I, I think you know what one of the things that speaks to and immediately exudes you know when 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 um, you start talking uh, about your work is that you're doing what you're doing because you're passionate about doing it, and um, and that really does shine through and and. Um, you, you know, certainly been fortunate and I'm sure made some, uh, you know, tough and important decisions over the course of your career to keep you in that position. So um, that's pretty cool. Uh, 
Stacy, I'm going to do you the favor that, that I always try to do, which is like not make you have to stare at the camera while engaging with the audience, uh, you know, typing and all that stuff. So we'll, we'll bring you back I'll, and I'll, and I'll, I'll keep my eye on it. I'll try to bring you back in the most awkward moment if we Thanks. can. Uh, yeah, I'll do that. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see you at the end here, uh, Stacy. So, so Nancy, Nancy, let's, um, let's talk about uh, modern methods of construction and, you know, you, you've, Obviously, like you said, done some really cool, sexy projects. You're probably doing some really cool, sexy projects right now. Um, what What are some? Give some examples of uh, modern methods of construction that you've um, been involved with. And obviously, bearing in mind that you know we have like 20 total minutes, so uh, you know highlights. Uh, even though I would love to get into details, I'm afraid we're in highlight show. Yeah, I mean, like the, the most popular way of thinking about how to change our industry so that we're more efficient in the modern methods world is, is what we call um, offsite manufacturing. And it has many different words. It's designed for manufacturing, it's offsite manufacturing, it's industrialized construction, it's the assembly approach. And it's everything from advanced work packaging to prefabrication to fully modularized units. And, it's, and, and the idea is that you're trying to get more tool time for the, for the tradesperson, right? So, so what you're trying to do is you're trying to avoid some of the things that make us inefficient. And that is, you know, being able to set up a cadence on the job because you've got certain components coming in at certain times that everyone can plan around. It's also like not having to run around looking for tools or parts or, you know, nuts and bolts in order to assemble things. It's also not being, not making um, the tradespeople assemble things on the ground or in a lift, you know, it's being able to put these components in, in a more efficient manner. So that's really, um, and that, and it's interesting. That's, that's the most, you know, obvious thing that I think we can do from a from an efficiency standpoint. Um, and there's a lot, and, and when you get really into the modern methods, when you get into the offsite environment, you know, then you can get into the robotics and the various ways that we have um, computer systems and programming that can allow us to do this more efficiently, uh, which, which again, takes a huge investment, right? Um, I also think that it's important to note, because I always like to note this, <laughs> that when you're in an offsite environment, um, it, it has all these wonderful benefits, right? So in construction, one of the reasons we're not very diverse, honestly, is that it's a, it's a very difficult trade to be in when, um, when you have to commute long hours, when you have to go to different jobs, when you're always working yourself out of a job, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not as, it's not as steady as a lot of normal jo jobs are. But if you're in an offsite environment, you literally have regular hours. You have a controlled environment. You have a way in which you can train and monitor people. You have a way to put, like, um, let's say, a daycare next to it. You, you just have all of these features that are that our industry doesn't typically allow, therefore, you know, making it less diverse. And, and when you really think about the fact that um, once you perfect this, which a lot of firms have been doing, um, you, you're it's better for cost, quality, schedule, and it's also better for sustainability. It's better for safety. It's better for diversity. Right. So when you really add all of that up, it makes absolute sense for us to start changing our industry and moving more in this direction. But I know we're going to talk, chat about some of the roadblocks there. So. Yeah. So, well, and, and um, that's, that's a wonderful picture to start getting in mind of, you know, what what is currently happening, what we could be striving toward. I'll tell you what, you know, my naturally skeptical sort of, you know, maybe slightly jaded construction experience tells me is that I'm, I'm sitting here kind of saying, well, yeah, that's great if you're, you know, a mechanical 
right? Cool. You can do offsite, you know, fabrication of your stuff. If you're a mechanical contractor, you can bring it in. If you're not doing that and you're a mechanical, that's something that, you know, you, I might even say you're getting close to being behind depending on the market segment that you're, um, you know, in right now. But, you know, uh, if we really want to make strides, you're going to, I think, have to get multiple trade contractors to work together in this kind of offsite environment. And then immediately I kind of, well, good luck with that. <laughs> right? you know, so, so is that happening? And uh, have you I'm so glad you brought up mechanical. Yeah. That is one of the most interesting things. So honestly, you are, you are hundred percent right. The mechanical and electrical trades are well in advance on offsite manufacturing because they have a very, um, keen desire and need to want to perfect that. What's weird about it is it's one of the most difficult, they are the most difficult traits. And, and I, I just love this topic because this is all about, you know, looking at projects and how they, how they lay them out when it comes to the different disciplines. So mechanical and electrical are drawn isometrically or schematically. They are not to scale. How do you fabricate something that's not drawn to scale, right? So being able to take um, what we have in the, in the 2D or 3D, you know, environment, in our models and then put those into fabricatable, fabricatable drawings is a challenge. And the, the mechanical and electrical contractors who have figured this challenge out have really done well in this, in this area. Um, what's interesting to me is when you look at the, um, the industry and how they study being able to, to do this offsite manufacturing or modularized construction, they look at the large real estate on the jobs. They, and they have tons of examples. They look at hotels with lots of rooms, hospitals with lots of rooms, office buildings with lots of rooms, the Pentagon with lots of rooms. I mean, it's like, it's repeatable, 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 because everyone's thinking manufacturer means I have to be on an assembly line and I have to have lots of repeatable space. Think about MEP. MEP, not so much. I mean, they're kind of the back of house. They're like, they're like we cram all the equipment into one room. Um, it's not repeatable. It's very specific to each building. So, so it's interesting to me when you look at off-site manufacturing and you see the studies that have been done it's always about like the bathroom pods or the head walls or the modulized you know apartment units um and what i what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to turn this on its head because when you look at any normal commercial project um the mep trades are the majority of the cost and the labor and in a data center which is what i build it's it's by far the majority right oh yeah yeah. So yeah, so we, so the excitement for me is being able to take these repeatable spaces in a data center that are equipment yards and data halls, and then get more bang for our buck by by doing the offsite fabrication in those areas that we can take seventy to eighty percent of that labor force and really be ultra efficient with them. Does that make sense? It totally does. Yeah, and that's what, like you said, biggest bang for your buck is going to be in those trades, particularly in your in your market. Do you, but, but so, so here's my, here's my question specifically around this is, is, are there examples where subcontractors are collaborating in offsite construction environments and actually pulling multiple logos, if you will, under one roof for, for specific projects? hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, MC Dean has some very, very large um, square footage down in, you know, Virginia and, they bring Southland in, they bring Bowers in, they bring different folks in. Um, uh, RK out of Colorado, you know, they're multifaceted when it comes to disciplines. And then what I would say is the most popular method of doing that, Chad, is when, you have, when you're on a project site, like with the Parkland Hospital job that Balfour did. You know, there was an on-site, off-site fabrication plant where all the trades 
got together to do those bathroom pods and those head walls and they did it on site, but you know, like adjacent to the building and it worked out beautifully. And it was, um, that was quite some years ago, but I, I talked with the general superintendent there and he said, you know, I was really hesitant at first to see whether this was going to pay off. I could not believe what a, what a difference it made in improving the schedule. And then uh, the other thing I want to point out is um, there's lots of opportunity, again, especially in data halls, but any large building where you can do the advanced work packaging on site in that offsite environment, right? So everything at, you know, at you know, the waste level, not in a lift, not on the ground, you know, go into one of the empty data hall spaces and then figure out every single thing you can do in an assembly format that's productive and then, you know, be able to install that as you turn over the facility. Oh, you're on me. Thank you. Thank you. I think that's a first for me that I've ever, uh, so this, it's because I'm listening. So I'm like, yeah, uh, anyway, uh, this really requires a highly collaborative mindset um, on, on, I love that advanced work packaging on site, you know, or, or on site offsite to your, to your point there. Um, do you find the general contractor is, is the critical piece to taking the lead on that? Yeah, typically they are. I mean, it's always good if you encourage them or if you have incentives as an owner to encourage them to do more of this because we are trying to, you know, measure our, our improvements, you know, as we as we look at things. And so, like, as an example, you know, uh, Compass started doing offsite in fabrication for our plenums, uh, for all our data halls. And, um, and it's interesting because, like, uh, you know, first we had to do this big competition. We went to manufacturers, we went to contractors, and we were like, we want to gain more real estate in our data halls, and we want to be able to figure out a more efficient way to build these instead of stick building them. They, it cost more upfront, but it really saved so much time on the job, and it was so much more efficient that it was absolutely the right thing to do for our business. Sometimes you have to take that, you know, that investment part and say, like, I got to be in it to win it. And then as you normalize it and you and you start repeating it. Though it's just like anything, when you manufacture it, it gets, it becomes more affordable. Yeah, you start to you start to create efficiencies and learn lessons that have have permanent impact. Um, so uh, let's talk about the roadblocks. Yeah, what yeah. Keeps, what keeps organizations from making this leap? Now uh, you started with upfront costs. Yeah, as an yeah, example there, right? Yeah, that's one of them. <laughs> um, and and so so maybe let's start there, but but kind of you know uh, talk. May, may, there's probably other uh, roadblocks that that aren't money. Yeah, related. I mean, cost is always a prohibitor. But if you're if you're wanting to innovate, you know, then people do that. You know, develop an R and D budget. You know, you got to come into the future. There's lots of compelling reasons for the construction industry to do that. And by the way, when I speak at Advancing Prefab over the last seven years, that conference has just blossomed into. A massive, massive, um, you know, organization. So I really feel like, you know, this is something that's here to stay, and I'm, I'm hoping that's the case. Some of the biggest roadblocks are the technology that we use as we go forth and we do models. You know, whether I said 2D, 3D, or so forth. Um, it's really, it's really a challenge to do the workarounds to be able to make what we design a fabricatable, you know, piece of, uh, you know, drawing or model. And the, and the, I want to really stress. The way it's contracted is important because owning a model is complicated. Owning a model, you know, knowing because we attach scope to value to schedule. That's what we do. And if you have this model that's kind of this living, breathing environment, how do you, you know, it's really hard to attach all those things in a contract. So you have to get clever about how you want to go about doing this integrated project delivery or somehow own that model with, um, with, these, with all of the vested stakeholders 
in a way that allows you to, you know, to still know who's responsible, who has obligations, so on and so forth. So, so I think along those lines, one of the one of the roadblocks that you could be bumping into, particularly here in the in where I, we're both in the Mid Atlantic, um, is a lack of experience with different delivery methods, a lack of experience with different contract yeah. methods, and and just fear that goes along with that. I mean, you know, integrated project delivery is still largely theoretical in this market, right? It's not elsewhere, you know, yeah. in a different thing. But. Yeah, yeah, I know it's, it, it's, um, it's still challenging everywhere. It actually is because it does, it does require, you do have to have some people holding the purse strings, right? And people who have to, you know, be accountable and take on risk and things like that. That's part of our business. So um, it is difficult. I mean, but I, but I have to say it's a, it's a very harmonious way to go about, about building something. And, uh, and transparency is, is, is going to be your friend there. It's absolutely going to be your friend everyone has to kind of get that mindset. Like I want everyone on the team to be successful. If I'm, if you're not successful, I'm not successful. If you don't have that mindset, then it's never going to work. So uh, what would you say to the subcontractors, to the trade contractors that say, I am not comfortable in an environment where uh, people are going to see my hard costs? Uh, well, I would say, tell me why you're not comfortable and I will write language that will make you comfortable. You're going to use it against me on projects in the future where they don't get delivered this way. And then you're going to come at me and say, you know, well, I know what your costs are. Yeah. So, again, this is all about administering the contract. So, if, so my, my, my thing back to these contractors is if you're not super profitable on my job, then don't do any work for me because I expect you to be profitable. Awesome. Different definitions of profit too, though, right? Like everybody's got a, everybody's got a line. What's reasonable? What's fair? Um, and uh, uh, man, different conversation, different day. So, so, yeah. so, um, to, you know, one of the things that you mentioned earlier that I, that immediately, you know, struck a nerve, but then we, we kind of had to, you know, we, we were on a different topic. I want to bring us back to it, which is, um, you know, creating more diversity uh, in the, in the industry, I, you know, um, I never connected the dots that offsite construction could actually be a vehicle to create more diversity in the industry. Yeah. Are you seeing that happen? Actually, like, again, yeah. like, it sounded yeah. right. I am. I mean, when I've I visited many, many offsite factories across the nation, and there was one in particular that had a large contingent of women in their in their factory. And I asked why. Of course, I had to take my with everybody because it's always so amazing when they have that and they said this was a it was transferable skill kind of situation where they had a paper mill shut down and a lot of these women who were let go came over into this factory and um yeah and, and they had these transferable skills that were amazing so they were doing really great and i, I just want to point out it's not just about the gender thing like literally a rising tide lifts all boats right men like to be home for their ball games for the kids right they don't want to commute tons of hours and spend time in the car and gas and maintenance. They also want a normal life, right? I mean, it's not it's, it, a rising tide lifts all boats. And if you can bring in more diversity, it just makes that work environment more innovative and more profitable, flat, flat out more profitable. I mean, there's tons of studies on that as well. And if you guys uh, haven't heard of it, then I suggest you go look into it. That's awesome. Yeah. What we're, what we're really talking about, I think it's a good point. I think what we're really talking about is a way to make the the construction work workplace experience um, uh, a more stable experience yeah uh, right and, that, and think about the fact that we have we're struggling right now Chad with the with our you know our skilled trades right I mean the average age of electrician is in their you know mid mid to upper 40s 
there's not a huge spent, I mean, contingent left, you know, we're, we're not repopulating ourselves in the Western world and the, and the trades have definitely suffered over the past 30 years. So we need to be more attractive. We need to make it to where it's a, it's a desirable um, industry. And, and honestly, the, the folks who carry the tools make a very good living and it's a very honorable profession to have. I, I was just saying at the dice conference this week, I would, I wish we would treat our tradespeople like we treat professional athletes. And then when it comes to skill and safety and everything else, I really want it to be the most desirable thing for folks to want to get into. And at, what, what I hear there also is um, merit-based compensation. Uh, when I think about professional athletes, <laughs> right? I think about, you know, if you're really great, you're going to get paid a lot. Uh, you're going to get paid a whole lot. That's very possible. Yes. Um, and it, and it, is, it actually works that way, even though everyone thinks it's very classified, you know, this classified labor, I mean, it, which it is. There are tons of trades folks out there that make, you know, a lot more than what's what's called for. So it's um, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm bringing Stacy back. Uh, was this sufficiently awkward, Stacy? Always. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, Stacy, what kind of questions do we have from the group? Uh, Mark Jury, friend of yours, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> um, how do we pivot owners to pull the design and construction team together at the start to collaborate and design for offsite assemblies, modular, et cetera, and maximize the advantages? Currently, it's mostly a very, you know, late start and a redesign. Yeah, yeah, he, you're spot on, Mark, as usual. I, it is hard to get, owners have to be exposed to this. They have to understand the benefits around it. I mean, in the data center industry, it's like fast, fast, fast. Everything's done yesterday, right? But if you really invest in the process early on um, and then start practicing that, you know, practice makes perfect. And so um, I think a lot of it, Mark, just is it's exposure. It's being able to like really understand and do these studies around how this is really going to make the business better and more efficient. And in the end, make the owners more successful, you know, from their performance standpoint. Good. Um, yeah, what's, what's going on in my mind? I can't help but think about, you know, uh, tr- Trade contractors, um, I've said this before. What, what if trade contractors did this on their own because it just, they found out it made them more money? <laughs> you know, it's like- them are. I mean, that's that's literally, I mean, I've had, like I said, I, I use Dean as an example because he was one of the first to, right. that I know of, right? Bill Billing, so I, he and I, when I retired the first time, he, um, he and I had quite a few um, sessions where we talked about this and he had this really amazing vision of like, you know, being able to do everything from operating suites to, you know, you name it. And then be able to do this in this offsite environment. And so um, he was in it to win it. He invested a lot of money in it. And I think there's quite a few people that are getting up to the, up to speed with that over the past 10 to 12 years. But yeah, they are. They're just like, hey, we know it makes sense. And so it's kind of like uh, it's, what, it's what my good friend Amy Marks would call the red shoe. Okay, we have the best red shoe. We want everyone to buy it. How do we now sell that shoe? And right. it, it could, whether it's a power center or an electrical room or you know a pipe assembly. It's like, this is my red shoe. How do I get every, it's, I got the best one and it, I can get it faster, cheaper, higher quality. How do I sell this now? And that's really where we're at, I think. And getting, yeah, and getting to that point with, to, to Mark Drury's question, um, you know, it's proof, right? It's, it's owners getting proof and owners hearing from other owners. You mentioned a conference earlier. I want to make sure that I'm capturing that because I think that might be a space that if mm-hmm. people are, are watching this uh, and thinking, how do I get, you know, more on this, more inspiration, things like that. Did you call it the advancing prefab conference? 
That's what it's called, Advancing Prefabrication Conference. Um, um, this last year, it was just a uh, couple weeks ago, and um, it was in Arizona. It was at the convention center, and um, Amy Marks was one of the moderators. She's an expert in this field, so um, and she works for Autodesk. But I, I, I would definitely um, would encourage people to look into that because it's, it's, it's really good material there. Excellent. All right, cool. Other questions? Sorry, Stacey. Yeah. Uh, Keaton Brooks said, what regions of the U.S. are you seeing this modular construction deployed the most other than data center alley, of course? Um, actually, it's, it, I've seen it kind of sprinkled all over. I mean, there's quite a bit over in the, in the southwest, you know, there, and in the, in the Midwest, actually, because like Colorado, Texas, Arizona, you know, some in SoCal there. Um, because that's when I, you know, I told you guys, I, I, I toured a lot of facilities across the U.S., I haven't seen them all, but um, but they're every they're coast to coast. I'm um, here in the in the Mid Atlantic. You know, there are the, like I said, there's some really powerful companies. Um, like I said, the Bowers is doing a great job. Um, Dean Rosenden, you know, those are really good companies. Southland, they're all like you know, every single one of those has really um, some amazing technologies to try to work through this. Now, I, I do want to bring up because I think that's a great question that there are there are firms that do this only do this like this is their entire right. life right mm -hmm. and these are some of these firms are like the, this it's for um you know the whole turnkey facility um mm -hmm. i know one in silicon valley that is um they literally they go and they build you know whether it's a hospital or a you know multi-purpose you know facility um and then they go and they retool their entire factory but based on lessons learned so it's, it's a fascinating process that i i always like to learn about that so that i can then share you know what what those lessons learned are because that does take an investment to be able to do something like that. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, you, you look at attempts to do this so that I, you know, what is it? Katera that yeah. went sadly wrong, but, but yeah. that, it was yeah. a really cool idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, they, I think they were trying to be the answer to everybody though. And it's sometimes yeah. you, you just can't do that. You have to really have those niches that make the most sense. And, um, you know, yeah, so that, that was, I was sad to see that, you know, kind of implode, but, um, but it's a, it's a great lessons learned. And I think that it's going to come back again and it'll be done in a different way. Well, and think of the talent, uh, the, the amazing talented people who I'm sure help to, to, you know, who are a part of that business, who are going to be able to take the lessons learned from that business model and apply it, you know, in a common sense way in different places. <laughs> I do. I think the next 10 years are going to be really exciting that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I do, I know some of the folks that work for the big hyperscalers that I do business with have worked for companies like Project Frog or Click, you know, Katero or, you know, Nautilus or one of those other firms that have done this full time as their, and now they're sharing that with these big, you know, global firms. So it's good. <clears throat> awesome. Um, uh, Stacy, I, I see one more question, I think. Do we have? Yeah, Bill Wilson said, how do you expand more trades into this trend? So, you mean, so you're talking like the, the trades, meaning the actual individuals versus the firms themselves. And, and I, I would say, I, I guess my answer to that is, you know, again, as a developer, and I would say the same thing to the sub trades and the specialty trades or the general contractors, as a developer, I want Compass to be the, the best company to work for. I want all the trades to be like, oh, if you have a choice, you need to go on a Compass job because they really care about us. They give us the best facilities. They don't make us work triple shifts. Um, we get, you know, good pay. We're fat. It's fast. It's efficient. I know just what I'm doing. I'm not having to rework. Morale is good. Um, all of this stuff, right? 
these are the things that are going to bring more trades into this space. And the more that we practice it and show that it works and that we can do the same amount of work faster, as faster or faster than any of our competition um, and do that in an offsite environment and not have to like work the trades to death. The more we can prove that, the more this is going to be something that everyone's going to aspire to do. Awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I know we're up on time, Stacy. Is there anything else uh, that that uh, that the audience has that we need to weave in? I'd love to close the loop with that. No, I think we're good. Uh, we're good there. All right, cool, good. I, 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 uh, Nancy, I could continue this conversation, um, and and maybe uh, we'll ask to do that, um, you know, with a, even more, you know, sort of a, a part two uh, of this discussion because I think we could keep going. Um, I really appreciate your, uh, you know, spending the time with us this morning. I know that the feedback we're already getting and the feedback that we'll get, uh, the, you know, as a result of this um, is going to be great. Uh, your, your insights have been uh, certainly valuable to me and I, and I know they will be to the audience. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's <laughs> a pleasure. All right. Um, Stacy, let's talk a little bit about what we have coming up next week. Um, we have uh, uh, a conversation about the future of office and what that's going to mean. I think, you know, uh, we're, we're clearly not staying away from the office, but depending on your industry, different, different environments, people are going back to the office at different rates and in different volumes and, and things like that. So, um, uh, Kelly Ennis, uh, is a friend of mine and she's wonderful. She spends her, a lot of her time thinking and reading and, uh, speaking about this. And specifically what we're going to be doing is talking about the impact that, that, uh, the construction industry can expect on, you know, what that's going to mean in terms of, um, projected volume in the mm -hmm. office market, what it's going to mean in terms of types of construction in the office market. And we may even talk about what, construction companies themselves should be doing as it relates to the, to the return to the office policies and, 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 you know, what, what a sustainable future looks like in a, uh, in a post, you know, post uh, pandemic environment, which I, I think uh, I, we're, I know we're not technically in, but I've decided we are. We're trying to be <laughs> <laughs> desperately. Everyone's so over it. <laughs> No doubt. Yeah. It all depends on where you are. In Florida, they're like, we've been over it since 2004. Right? Um, all right. Well, good. Uh, Stacy. anything you want to say before we wrap up? <sighs> Enjoy this beautiful week. Um, I don't have anything good to say. <laughs> I hate when you okay. put this back. No <laughs> is a totally acceptable answer. I just want to remind everybody uh, to email Stacy if you want to get on our mailing list. If you want to, uh, you know, not have to worry about signing up every week on on LinkedIn or, or finding that, you know, uh, link, we can send you an email. Uh, we have a few hundred people who are getting it now. Uh, jump on it. The email list is expanding. We appreciate uh, everybody's support. And uh, and again, just a reminder that uh, if you or someone you know has a valuable, important discussion uh, about creating positive change in the building industry. We'd love to uh, to talk to him about season three. Uh, we yeah, which we'll will be uh, getting underway in the fall. Recruiting. Yeah, we'll start recruiting for season three. I also do a recap of the episodes through email, and a lot of the speakers like to give me extra extra uh, resources for you guys, whether it's clips or articles or case studies or surveys. So that's always a great resource too, if you, cause we obviously only have 30 minutes. So, um, 
So if you're not signed up for the email, you know, just give me your email and I'll get you on there. Thank you. Have a great right. week. Have a great See week. See y'all next week. See ya.